Hi, my name's John Kasher and welcome to Cash Talk, where there'll be no boundaries and a lot of straight talk. All things money, business, and just everyday stuff. Hey guys, before we get started, just a quick reminder that all the information in this podcast is of a general nature and not tailored to your personal circumstances. So please seek personal financial advice before acting on this information. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cash Talk. And today, once again, I'm joined by Nicola and Mason. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. Yeah, I'm um, I'm really good. I'm really good. Um, There's a lot going on in the world of money and finance, and um, there's a lot of decisions that people need to be making around their finances. And a lot of people are thinking around, well, how do I invest my money? Yeah, not only around, you know, how do I manage my cash flow, but, you know, how do I invest my money to to grow my wealth to a point where I can no longer have to, no longer need to trade time for money. And what commonly happens when people are in this situation is that they find themselves going, okay, what do I want this investment for? Do I want this investment to provide me with additional income? Do I want this investment to provide me with capital growth? And, um, which one's better and how do we make that decision? And it's a quite complex decision. And I think a lot of people when we, that I've seen in the past, and I know, um, you know, Nick and Mason, you're the same. Some people tend to rush in that, into that, that scenario. And it could potentially be, be disastrous um, because there's flow on effects by making that decision. So today we want to kind of unpack that decision-making process, understand the differences between you know, income assets and, and and growth assets and what that means and try to unpack the decision-making process for you so that you can make wiser decisions um, with your money. Um, so Mason, maybe I might jump over to you. Um, income and growth assets, what are they and what's the difference between the two? It's a good question. And it's, it's funny when you say that because I think some assets can jump between the two as well. So that just adds a bit further, more more, more complexity when it comes to that. But Typically speaking, when we talk about growth assets, we're talking about assets that appreciate in value over time. Um, whereas when we're talking about income type investments, they tend to distribute a, an income to to the owner of the uh, owner of the investment um, over time, and they typically don't grow as much as a growth investment, and vice versa. A growth investment typically doesn't pay as much income as an income investment, as as the name sort of suggests. But I did mention there that some investments do jump between the two. I think a common one is is property. Um, we often see property, you get your rent from the property, so that's the income from the investment, but also appreciates in value over time as well. And I know some people we often see, oh, this, this property's got a great rental yield or this property is really appreciating value. So, and that's not always, it's not always the same. So I know like if we look at capital cities over time, particularly Melbourne and Sydney, you call them growth investments because they've really appreciated in capital growth over particularly the last 10 years have been fantastic. Um, and maybe the, the yield hasn't been quite as high. So the yield might be only one or 2%, but the capital growth may be six or seven. Um, so definitely a growth investment. But you get the in the regional areas, for example, a property might have a yield of 7%, but a capital growth of only one or 2%. So you can see that same asset class very different outcome. And you can see it's a it's a hard decision to make where you sort of buy that property and what you sort of want the property for. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And it also, they also impact one another. Like when you talk about property, for example, usually 
a high income generating property um, is not necessarily as good for capital growth. Okay, there's usually that trade-off. And please, this is not saying that this is always the case. There's a, you know, I'm just saying generally speaking. Um, and it's the same when you, for example, go to, um, when you go to, say, the stock market. Yeah, usually the, you know, the spec, the speckies or the, you know, the shares that are going to go into shoot out the lights, they might do, you know, 20, 30, 40% returns one year, but, you know, they're not issuing any dividends. They're not issuing any um, ones. And you look at the the income yielding assets, you know, these are usually your traditional blue chip kind of ones. You know, if you think about the tortoise and the hare, you know, definitely the blue chip is more usually like the tortoise and the speckies are, you know, more like the hair. They're going to be jumping all over the place. So, you know, there's 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 the difference between them, but also you you're usually looking at the the risk of those assets as well too. So, um, if we use shares then as an example, yeah, the speckies might shoot out the lights in one year, but there's it's coupled with coupled with the risk that's associated with those speculative assets and. Um, like I said, this is this is generally speaking, this doesn't mean it's always the case, but you can see what we're talking about here, that there's there's decision making around, you know, which one and how they work and and around the risks that's associated with them. I feel like it's not I feel like it's not actually talked about that much. Like I guess we discuss it, but I don't feel like most people go into an investment thinking like, is it a growth investment? Is it an income investment? And I feel like it gets a little bit mixed up in terms of people just talk about what's the return, but there's different types of returns that might be suitable to different people. So how, how can people figure out, I guess, if they need an income investment or they need a more growthy investment? Yeah, so I think, I think your tax position's a big one and your time horizon's a big one as well too. So when you're thinking about your tax position, Let's imagine you're in the highest marginal tax rate, okay? So if you're in the highest marginal tax rate and you're in your 30s or 40s, okay, do you really need that additional passive income to go on top of your taxable income? Probably not. And I'm talking not even from a tax position. I'm talking from an actual surplus cash flow position. You really want to be making sure you're accumulating those assets to be putting them in what we call your growth bucket, Okay. So you're going to have a tendency to move more towards growth assets in, in that type of environment than you are going to be trying to drive uh, income assets. And the other thing as well, too, is that you've got to be worried then about the tax of that. So for every dollar that goes on the highest marginal tax in Australia, you're paying 46.5%. You know? So nearly half of that income that you're earning is being swallowed up in unnecessary tax. Um, you don't in Australia get taxed on capital gains until you realize them, you know? So you've just got to be realizing the tax position and then in regards to the buckets and how you need those buckets to have, but you know, that high income earner might be in their fifties or in their sixties and trying to drive that passive income stream to help them to kind of transition themselves into retirement. Well, then they might need that supplement income to be starting, but their time horizon is shorter before the time that they need to access it. So if you look at time horizon, you look at risk tolerance, and then you look at tax position, there's like these levers that is pulling in regards to the decision-making process around how that sits. 
Yeah. And Mason, obviously low-income earners, yeah, or low-income earners or, or less than the highest market doing tax rate. Um, it's not to say that the decision-making process is any different, is it? No, it's not. Um, it, it, effectively, the decision-making is somewhat the same. Um, when it comes to that, yes, the higher marginal tax rate does make it somewhat of an easier decision. But I think there's a bit of a, a tendency now, particularly with the, I'll, I'll talk about more the younger tax, the younger people at the moment with this uh, fire movement where we want to build up these passive income streams. And passive income seems to be a bit of a buzz thing at the moment. I want passive income, I want passive income. But why? Why do you want this passive income? And that's not to say that you need to just have passive income. We need growth as well. Um, and building up that asset base to have that passive income is perhaps more important than just having passive income. Um, so you mm. can always invest in, say, dividend-paying stocks and getting these dividends, paying the tax and things. Mm. But that's not your, your asset base isn't probably growing as at a rate fast enough to achieve true financial independence. So there is there is a mix there. You sort of say, okay, it's not passive income isn't the be all and end all. And it's not that's not to say too like you could grow your assets and then slowly sell them off for passive income. So that's it's not just you don't just have to have distributions to have passive income. So that's important to know as well. So yeah, I think passive income is just really, really buzz thing at the moment, but it's not it's not the be all and end all when it comes to achieving financial independence. But Mason, should you be buying assets with no income? Because isn't the asset value based on the future income of the investment itself? Potentially, potentially. Um, but if we're investing into say growth, growth stocks, for example, and like international shares are a really great one, particularly in the US, Typically speaking, they don't really distribute income that much. Um, they mm. usually reinvest that income into the company and it grows at a faster rate because I, 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 I bet Apple could utilize that income better than perhaps you could and growing their, growing their business over time. So effectively, yeah, eventually you might want to have that asset generate your income, but that's not to say you can't, as I mentioned before, sell off some, I'm using Apple as an example, sell off some Apple stock mm -hmm. to, to create that income for yourself. I get it. My, my qualm with it is I don't want people to think that they should just be investing in capital growth assets with no income with the hope that it's not going to make anything, like hope that it'll make something in the future. That's not what we're talking about here. Yeah. And Nick, you obviously, you know, you've been on social media. You can resonate with what Mason's saying in regards to, you know, people try chasing this fire movement and, um, you know, having the passive income you know, what's your thoughts and your take on that? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. And it just really depends on, you know, as we always say, like what your goals are, like what your time frame is. Is it like, you know, you're nearly at the point where you've built up assets and you want to retire in five years and, okay, maybe income assets are going to be more appropriate for you. But if you're thinking fire in like 20 years time or 25 years time, like, then you also need to be considering the fact that you probably want some growth assets in there as well. Maybe not 100%, but you want a combination of both. Like it doesn't have to be one or the other. So it again comes down to, I think, having that clarity when you are investing around what are the purpose of these funds because there's no one size fits all that suits everybody. Um, 
so I feel like yeah it always it always stems back to that what what is the purpose and what are we investing for yeah definitely and I think this there's another layer to this based on your tax position and your horizon and, and whatnot mm-hmm. um is around if you've got an entity overlay to this because entities are then taxed in different ways yeah. they then have can different have different approaches you know you look about a company in australia getting taxed between 25 percent to 30 percent in most cases you could potentially have a dividend yielding stock you know that's fully franked and they're franking it at 30 percent you're paying tax at 30 percent effectively you're paying zero effectively mm-hmm. yeah um you know but if you look at a property you know, you might want to buy a property, you might want to flip it and do a development, you know, and sell it within that 12 month period. Well, if that's going to be the case, it's going to be derived as an income generating asset because it's within that 12 months. So, you know, high risk strategy, obviously being done, you know, that's a capital growth kind of scenario, but then it's generating the income that needs to be done. So then the entity overlay needs to be taken into consideration because it might be better for you to hold that in a company rather than holding that, say, in a family trust or in your own name. Mm -hmm. So it starts to get complex when you get down to the layers and especially as you start to grow your wealth and get yourself out of that comfort stage, get yourself into that growth stage and then get yourself into the financial freedom stage because you can have different things doing you know, you can have different assets doing different things. I know I do. Yeah. I don't just have all 100% growth assets. You know, we are very much advocates of the pools of wealth theory. Um, Mason, what's the pools of wealth theory? How does it work or the bucketing strategy? Yeah, no, so the uh, the bucketing strategy that's probably more commonly known is basically having your money segregated into different buckets. And you can actually picture three different sort of buckets um so the first bucket being your short-term or immediate bucket um so in that bucket you've got assets like your cash and just short-term investments so you're not really subjecting that money to risk and that's not really earning an income or there's no capital growth kind of aims for that thing or no targets it's the purpose is short-term needs and safety yeah exactly certainty yeah exactly right so hopefully you get some sort of return in your bank account which mm. what we're seeing at the moment like you might get something like three or four percent mm. in there but that's not the purpose of it the purpose of it is to have some short-term funds available for living expenses things like that and a common goal for a lot of people is to have 12 months worth of expenses sitting in that bucket and as you get closer to retirement and in retirement that might be three years of expenses because your risk profile and your and your time horizon is not as long at that point in time so short-term bucket as, as those type of assets. So cash mainly, maybe term deposit, potentially. Medium term bucket or your intermediate bucket has still has probably a little bit of cash in there, maybe some longer term term deposits, potentially some dividend paying shares in there as well uh, to give you a bit of an income source. And even some might even consider a, a, a property in there as well as part of their intermediate bucket strategy it's not a common one but it can definitely be done and bonds and things of this nature as well then you got the the best bucket i think is the long-term bucket uh where we got our growth assets the uh the uh the high high growth shares the the properties things this nature saying that we're not touching for hopefully the long term so i'd like to think that long-term bucket being a 10 plus year bucket um when when we can see that and you you might even have so the long-term bucket fills up the intermediate bucket and the intermediate bucket fills up the short-term bucket. So 
at all times, you want that short-term bucket to be holding that a very similar amount of cash. Just so you've got, you don't have to stress. So there's no need to ever have to sell down assets in the intermediate bucket or the long-term bucket until you, until you want to rather than having to. So that's the purpose of the buffing theory. So you've always got money there for different purposes. Yeah, very, very, very good explanation of the of the um, bucket strategy. And I think the biggest thing is then people sometimes say to me, oh, John, that's easy. So we just, you know, we knock out the safety bucket, we put it all in the income bucket and we tap some into the growth bucket. Guys, it's also not that easy because there's tax implications and asset protection implications that are taken across that whole whole thing. Now, in Australia, traditionally for most people, especially in their 30s, 40s and even 50s, Nick, their growth bucket is usually their superannuation, isn't it? Yeah, correct. So I guess superannuation is generally the most long-term asset for most people um, because they can't access it until they're sort of 60 at a minimum. You know, they'll probably, <laughs> they'll probably get older as we go along, but um, that's typically the most growthy sort of asset that most young people will have um, with the purpose that, you know, eventually it'll become part of your income bucket when you need to draw down on those funds. Um, but we can't, we can't touch it until then. And the thing is, is that we have with this growth bucket is that not knowing what what purpose is what and how it sits in the in the bucketing strategies can cause some mistakes and some things that need to be changed or looked at at least. And and we find and we were talking about this actually, you know, together yesterday around. You know, young people not taking their superannuation as a growth strategy and rather taking it potentially as an income strategy. And, you know, that can have some disastrous uh, impl uh, implications on the longevity of their money, can't it, Nick? Yeah, 100%. I think there's not really enough education around, you know, yes, there is risk in terms of being invested in more growth assets. And obviously we know that risk and return are correlated. So if we want a higher return, we have to take on more risk. But I feel like we often don't talk about the fact that there's also longevity risk in the sense that we need these funds to outperform inflation over an extended period of time. And if we're not investing in a way that allows us to do that, there's also risks that we won't be able to achieve our goals that we want based on the way those funds are invested. So I think there's also a risk of like longevity not achieving goals, and they're not often talked about in the risk conversation. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think it's all based around the confusion, Mason, around the buckets, you know, superannuation, if it's seven plus years away, it's in the growth bucket and it needs to be addressed. But you're also not going to do the same with the money that you got saving for a wedding deposit in, um, in you know, six months from now. You know, that's clearly going to be in your safety bucket. So understanding the bucketing strategy helps you helps you to make a decision on what your money is being used for. Then you've got to structure it correctly. Superannuation, great tax structure, um, great tax structure in regards to you know, um, tax minimization if, if used properly. But the one that causes most people grief is around the income bucket, Mason, around the structuring of this income bucket. Because, you know, I look at my own situation. I'm very reluctant to add on more income. Um, you know, I look at the situation, I look at my scenario and I say, well, based on this, do I really want to be adding some? So 
there's obviously ways to minimize your tax in regards to certain structures. You can look at potentially investment bonds. You can look at the entities themselves. But what kind of decision-making process do you have around that income bucket? Well, it's a really good question. I think the very first one is, do we need extra income right now? Because mm. if we don't need it right now, then perhaps a, gro a more growth-oriented strategy is the one for you. I've like... Obviously, this is generally speaking, of course, but as a younger person in your 20s and things, yes, mm -hmm. having more income would be great, but do you actually need that extra income? Maybe not. So maybe building up your asset base in terms of growth assets is the way to go when it comes to that. But as we tend to get older, so I think the income bucket, from my experience, and, and you guys might have seen something different, I've definitely seen that also having that short-term bucket building that up first is, pro is probably the most important. So it's almost like an emergency type of bucket. So break in case of emergency almost. Having that set up before any other bucket is probably key because there's no point setting up an income bucket without having a short-term bucket because then you're going to have to dip into it. So there's just no point. From there, I personally have seen most people go to then the growth bucket and build that up and or at least start that, start the growth bucket. And then once that's sort of got the foundation set, then they move to the income bucket last of the three. That's what I've typically seen, but I'm not sure if you guys have seen anything different. Um, but that's mm. how I sort of see it. Yeah. I think if you've got the right structure, you can actually build up a capital asset that's going to help you to derive tax-free income. You know, um, not to say this is a recommendation for everyone, but, you know, investment bonds are a very, very powerful tool. Um, and they allow after 10 years of holding the asset with, caveat terms and conditions this is not just a blanket rule allow you to potentially draw down income from that investment bond as your invest as your income bucket yeah um so there's ways you can do that obviously with a company as well too a company i like to use a company as like a deferred tax payment so if you pay tax on it and then you kind of withdraw it at a later stage once your tax position's at a better stage you're getting that income with the franking credits of that company now, if you're, let's say you've paid 30% tax in, in franking credits uh, or retained, uh, retained earnings, and then you start withdrawing that when you'll say tax rate is zero, when you need to draw down the income, well, you'll get a credit on that, on that dividend because it's already paid 30 cents in the dollar. So that's where the structure in regards to the income bucket is crucial. This is where family trusts or discretionary trusts become into the conversation around the, the appropriateness of those. But I think the biggest complex one, just because it's fortunate in regards to our uh, country around superannuation and the long-term being majority of the growth asset, the income bucket is very much a decision-making process around the structures of those assets as well too. Now, Mason and Nick, the other one that I wanted to speak about was around um, people trying to meet short-term needs by supplementing with passive income so another question i get asked or something that usually commonly has is that i need to put my kids into private schooling in three years time therefore i want to invest right now to generate that passive income to help me to supplement that that, that those costs in three years what's your thoughts nick i might start with you and then over to you mason but nick what's your thoughts on that given the time frame and giving their goals and their purpose and whatnot? Yeah, unfortunately, like we always say, 
I guess traditionally when you're investing in the more growthy assets, it's like seven plus years, year timeframe. Um, and so I think if you're investing with that short of a time horizon, it it can potentially be unrealistic just because, you know, if if the private schooling is something that you want to guarantee for your kids, it can be difficult to be able to guarantee that from an investment realistically. And you've got to, you've got to, and so, and so if they're going into risky assets, yeah, and mm-hmm. growth assets, we need to take the long-term time horizon. But mm-hmm. if we had an investment, uh, sorry, if we had a, um, a fixed bond, yeah, if a fixed interest bond that paid out an income of say 6% or 7%, yeah, well, that could be considered as a short-term asset, couldn't it? Like a short-term thing because the risk associated is, is quite less. So it's really the risk that then this, the, um, the, it's the risk and the time horizon that you were alluding to, isn't it? hundred percent. I feel like as well, bonds typically aren't the first thing that come to people's mind when they think about investing. People traditionally think mm. about shares or property. So I think, you know, having that conversation about what asset is appropriate for you is so, so important because yeah, the last thing you want is to realize you need to sell down a growth asset in three years time. And you've, you've now actually realized a loss to pay for this thing that was actually a short-term expense um so yeah definitely considering having the right asset because in that particular situation you need an income asset and not a growth asset because it is in the short term yeah 100 i think mason to go further with this conversation about this imaginary couple that let's say we're talking about here um they've also got a debt that they've currently got and so these funds they're coming from either an offset account or they're coming from somewhere if the house is not paid off it's a very good point, isn't it? Um, it is like to invest somewhere else means you're not investing somewhere else, if that makes sense. Like mm. there's an opportunity cost there. So, and particularly now with the rates rising, if you do have an offset account to beat that, you need that you're looking at a growth asset. Like you really are at the moment. Like you can't, it's really hard to beat that with an income asset. So if we've got a home loan, say it's 6%, Money in the offset account is effectively earning 6% because interest saved is interest earned, so to speak. So in this situation, you could argue funneling excess money into your offset account and using that as your investment mm-hmm. could be the way to go. Um, and that's a risk-free return as well, which is... It's boring, very- but Mason, it's boring. Isn't it, it, that's- it is boring. It is very, very that's- boring. Um but I'll tell you what, risk-free, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. We've got enough headaches in our life, everyone. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing. And I know it's boring. But certainty, do you need that when you're, when you're three years away from putting your kids in primary school? Nick and Mason, I would imagine you'd want high levels of certainty and not money to get to the you know, school and not, not, then not have the, uh, not have the funds. That's it. And what I think is really crucial to, if you're going to go down this pathway is, and not everyone has access to this, but having multiple offset accounts, because actually naming an offset account, kids education, you put that money there, it's got a purpose. And it's going to be a lot harder for you to then take that money out because you know you're taking away from your kids education. Whereas if it's all pulled in the one offset account, it's, oh, I might spend a little bit here, spend a little bit there. But having the ability to have those multiple offsets for different purposes. And you might have one for car upgrades, holidays, things like this. It's a lot harder to take it away when you know it's got a purpose attached. So 
if you can do that and you're going to go down that pathway, I, I really like that strategy. Um, if you only have the one offset, it just takes a bit more commitment to the, to the process, but it can still be done and it's still a risk-free return, which is fantastic. It's a, it's a, it's a maze. And I know that's why we all like it, you know, Nick and Mason. Um, but for the viewers and listeners, it's not, it's not just do whatever everyone else is doing. Your situation is different to everyone. Okay. And Mason, we were on a chat with a couple earlier this week around um, their situation. And, you know, they were comparing themselves about the other people and um you know what other people are doing and what they could that they should be doing and we had a pretty in-depth discussion i got a bit passionate i know mason did as well too around not following the crowd and not doing what other people do because your situation is unique um and everyone's is and i still haven't seen one person today that is exactly the same as the other person they're they are all come in different walks of life and require different things and i think today's society is um um, what's the word, inundated with too much information. And what we're trying to do here is cut through the noise, okay? The bucketing strategy that Mason explained to you before is used by some of the best financial advisors in the world, okay? It is used to be making sure that regardless of the economic scenario, that you're able to kind of walk through that once that's implemented properly. And you need to be honest with yourself to say, can I actually implement that? Can I actually manage that yourself, Okay. The other one as well, too, is that understanding and taking the time to make the decisions based on the outcomes that you require for your assets can either accelerate your wealth or destruct it, okay? Unnecessary fees and unnecessary taxes are the two biggest erosions of people's wealth, okay? All right, so you need to be attacking those, okay? So take the time, be patient, select them properly, go seek advice, okay? Um, the cost of getting advice versus the cost of getting it wrong. I can assure you the cost of getting advice and getting it right is far less than the cost of getting it wrong. Okay. Particularly if you're using structures as well, because if you start out with the wrong structure, that can set you up for sort of a tax issue for multiple years to come. And so I feel like that's a, a key point. People always talk about investments, but the structure is actually just as important, if not more important. And I feel like that's why if you get that right early on, it can really save you a lot in tax that you might not necessarily need to be paying. 100%. I, um, I, I see it when I actually look at like people's balance sheets and I look at the way that they own things, there's always something that I can fix. Yeah. The other thing as well too is I want also people to appreciate that hindsight is a marvellous thing, Okay. Because you need to make a decision on what you know now and kind of what you think is going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. Your life changes so rapidly. It's impossible to predict exactly what's going on. And I was actually having a conversation with a client the other day because they were actually ultra opposite. They were very delicate in their situation. They wanted to absolutely plan absolutely everything. They wanted to kind of dot their I's and cross their T's on absolutely everything. And they wanted to future plan for the next 30 years of their life to the T. And I kind of said to them, I said, I want you to understand that you probably can only foresee the next five to 10 years of your life, especially in these guys' situation. They didn't have kids yet, okay? They um, 
wanted to go self-employed. They were both employees. There was all of these things that needed to happen. And we, we went through some of the decision-making process, but there was a kind of caveat to the conversation, which was, you might get this wrong. You might get this wrong because your situation doesn't pan out exactly the way that you want to. Okay. And that's okay. And so what you need to do is you need to base your, you need to make base your decision. I have a little, uh, thanks buddy. <laughs> Got a little visitor coming. Um, you need to base your decision-making process on the best knowledge that you have today. And I would say for the next five to 10 years. Okay. And, um, I don't want to get it too much onto this podcast as well too, but these people were so kind of involved in the, in the decision-making process and trying to take care of all of the risks, which I encourage them and I love them about it. They were even talking about divorce risk and they're not even married yet, yeah, which is a very, yeah. very interesting conversation. Um, but it's a, it's a, it is a risk, let's be honest, okay? Um, and that's where the structures and all of that kind of come into the scenario. But like I said, not for this podcast today. It's probably for a podcast that we'll have on another discussion. But what I'm more trying to get at is you've got two polar, you've got two polar opposites. You know, you've got some people that are not thinking about it at all. They're kind of going blindly and investing their money and doing whatever, and it can be disastrous. And those people usually have tax problems at a later date, or they can't grow their assets, you know, at the right at the right rate for what they needed to, and so on and so forth. And then you've got the other people that are, you know, analysis paralysis, kind of not doing anything, trying to, you know, cross off absolutely everything. And that before they know it, they haven't done anything for five to 10 years and they've lost five to 10 years of, of investing or for their financial future. And so, and so Mason, that's actually a really good point. You know, in saying that you probably won't never get it right and you try your best to make the best decision. What's your tips for people that are sitting there just going, I can't work this out. My first tip is to get advice. Um, yeah. I, I know it's cliche to probably say that as, as advisors, but the thing is like, let's say you went to see an advisor and the advisor said you're doing everything right. Mm. It's still not a waste of money. Like mm. to have the peace of mind to know, oh, wow, well, I'm doing everything right. Fantastic. That, that's actually the best case scenario. Mm. You've done everything right. Awesome. Mm. And if you have done something maybe not quite optimal, Better fix it earlier than later. As you were saying, Nick, mm. before, it can be quite expensive to fix these things later on. And sometimes you can't even fix them um, because mm. it's just too expensive to do so. Um, mm. So, yeah, get advice is key. Um, and, like, we can't see everything, but we can see mm. we, we do have experience and we know that what is common to happen um, and we make the best choice with the information that we have um, and with the mm. countless amount of clients we've seen over time. Um, it helps. It really helps. We've seen we've seen everything. We've seen lots of things, um, mm. and, but you're never surprised. Like, and mm. and then you're constantly surprised as well. It's a it's a funny thing. Like, no situation is the exact same, but a lot of situations are very similar as well. Um, so yeah, I, getting advice around these things is just so so crucial. I think. Um, and why take the chance? That's my thinking. Mm. I, I think my follow on tips, and Nick, I'll, I'll pass over to you in a moment. I think my follow on tips are to like be aware of this. I think, you know, for the viewers and listeners who are doing this, you're doing the, the first step by, you know, trying to educate yourself and, and really take yourself to the next next level. But, you know, it's okay to be boring. 
I think is another thing that I, that I, that I want to say, you know, it's okay to be boring. You know, mm-hmm. You're going to be, there's a lot of shiny objects around of us. Okay. And when it comes to choosing that next greatest growth asset, you know, well, you know what? Maybe that's not right for you. Maybe that doesn't sit right for you. Maybe that's going to not make you sleep at night. There's a lot of aspects to you. Don't just, you know, get try and get FOMO because everyone else is doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Don't necessarily look at that new rental income where someone's getting 9% and, you know, it's a property in the middle of nowhere that has no demand and it's, it's demanding that income for rent because the rental demand is there. Well, well, maybe you not might need a capital growth strategy, yeah? So don't compare yourself to others and it's okay to be boring. You know, like Mason was talking about before, there's not much wrong with paying off a risk-free asset at six or you know five or six percent. You know, I I don't know many people that have said to me, "Oh, John, I paid off my house too soon." Shit, you know. Um, like, yes, investing is important, and what we speak about is investing as early as you can because time is your best friend. And this is why the lever between you know the levers between how much I pay towards my debt and how much do I put towards investment is a very e- interesting balance, and it needs to you need to have a game plan to do that. So, yeah, they're my couple of tips for the people, you know, the viewers and and listeners here. What about you, Nick? Yeah, I think to sort of um, follow on from what you were saying about not being afraid to be boring, like often it's the boring stuff that you have to do first to set yourself up for the more exciting investing things because mm. it's like if you don't have that let's say cash reserve and you go and invest all of your funds in a growth asset. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, your car blows up and you need to spend 20,000 on a new car and you don't have those funds there. You're then literally killing your investment strategy by having to sell it down at a bad time. So having those good foundations, as boring as it sounds, are often so important to like reduce your risk in the long term and set yourself up for investing success. Because if you don't have them in place, you you potentially setting yourself up to go backwards. So I think, yeah, knowing knowing what you need to do and in what order you need to do it is so important. Yeah, thank. You. There's some great tips, Nick, um, and Mason as well too. So I'm going to wrap it up there because we've gone through a lot in regards to the decision making process around income and growth, and hopefully everyone, all the listeners and viewers, you've you've um, taken some stuff away that you can you can look at hopefully educate yourself a little bit further on. Um, And if you enjoy these podcasts, please feel free to share them to others. Uh, We love doing this. We love sharing this information. We love, you know, educating people as much as possible. So, you know, help us by spreading the word as well too. That would be much appreciated as well. But for now, that's a wrap. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Mason. Till next time. Cheers. See you guys. See you guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cash Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to learn more about me, jump onto my Instagram at at thejohncasher and you'll find me there or at my website at www.johncasher.com.au. Thanks for listening. Cheers.